0: To From There to Here, a podcast for space hackers. If you're wondering if you're a space hacker, then you should just skedaddle right now. If you're into thinking about space and time as a space hacker in space and time, then you're going to have a lot of fun today. Today's episode of From There to Here is going to wander around notions of mythology, history, religion, the semiotics of new space, and any related uh, technology evolutions. We want to figure out what the interplay between what we build, what we sense, what we believe, and what we justify in response to all of that. So the question for you space hackers is, can we reframe space into a wider notion? Is religion a bigger, broader, more, uh, more resilient, uh, and more reluctant to own frame for space? Who's or what, who or what isn't getting a fair share of, of this new space? To what extent are religion and space travel the same journey for humanity and for any given human? So I can't do this myself because I don't know all these things. So we've got a great guest here today. We'll find out if she affiliates herself personally as a space hacker before or at the end and maybe even uncover what we mean by space hacker. Uh, But let me introduce our guest, Mary Jane Rubenstein, a writer, teacher, thinker of things, as I read on the byline of her wonderful website. She's a professor of religion and science and society at Wesleyan University and has an affiliation with the Philosophy Department and the Feminist Gender and Sexuality Studies Program. So we're getting a, a huge swath of ways of thinking about what we're going to talk about. She's also the author of several essays, books on new space, the multiverse, cosmology, and culture, obviously religion. Uh, and most recently, uh, the book, *Astrotopia: The Dangerous Religion of the Corporate Space Race. And I actually encountered her work uh, over the holidays uh, while browsing one of my favorite independent bookstores uh, where I picked up an essay collection uh, called Image, Three Inquiries into in Technology and Imagination. And she has an essay uh, featuring a discussion of New Space, which and I don't wanna say it disturbed me, but it got me thinking quite a bit. And so I reached out to Mary Jane and she graciously offered to have a chat. So with that, Mary Jane, let's introduce you with your, your own brain and your own words. So what's your light cone? How'd you arrive here?
1: What is my light cone? Um, first of all, thank you so much, Russell, for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I'm trained as a uh, as a what we call a religionist, somebody who studies religion um, I, as a as a as a cultural phenomenon, as a uh, social movement that tends to speak to people in their most um, intimate and sort of lasting places. Um, I, over the last 10, 15 years in particular, have started looking at the ways that uh, religion and science kind of collide with one another um, in often unexpected ways, in ways that both parties are often sort of surprised about or even dismayed about. Um, and so I, I look for places that religion shows up in, um, in the natural sciences, in politics, in economics, um, where maybe it's least expected and, and maybe even uh, least, least welcome
0: so i'm gonna probably poorly transition from what you said there because i think by the end of this it'll come back to what you said about how how you're intersecting all these things uh and it and it's related to what struck me and why i felt like i had to reach out to you as a as because in what you write about it comes it comes through clearly all these intersections of, of things you're interested in And so, in particular, on your essay, Above Us Only Sky, this passage, where you quote Ra, as Ra often intoned in a spoken word interlude, imagination is a magic carpet ride on which we soar to distant lands and climbs, and even go beyond the moon to any planet in the sky. If we are here... The whole band joins in. Why can't we be there? Uh, I was struck by that for <laughs> obvious reasons based on the, the name of our podcast, which we came up before I encountered your essay. But in, in reading that and seeing that passage in an essay that I thought was by a professor of religion and the philosophy of science, it just struck me as... This is a different thinker on these topics that's pulling from different resources. But in the context of that essay, they make a lot of sense. And so in all that you've done in talking to people out there, educating students, writing your books, are we alone, you and I, in thinking all of those things you've pulled together make sense or other Are other people seeing the sense of pulling from these different cultural artifacts and ways of thinking uh, and bringing all that to bear on what we can say about what has largely been viewed as a scientific Mm -hmm. endeavor in Mm -hmm. dealing with space? That was a very long question, but hopefully I pull it together and I bring it back to that raw passage.
1: Yeah, that is a long question, but I think I can get at it from two different angles um so right so that's that's sunra the experimental jazz musician um mid mid to late 20th century um imagination is a magic carpet ride uh the reason that i like this so much is that it um he's not speaking metaphorically here he's not saying you know It's as if, when when you imagine, it's as if you were in a different place. He's saying, when you imagine, you're in a different place. You're in an actual different space and time. Um, That for Sun Ra to uh, listen to music, especially um, what some Westerners would call atonal or sort of... um, Atonal music with sort of clashing harmonies um, is is quite literally to be transported to a different place. And he talked about this as uh, being taken to another planet. He used to say that he came from another planet, that he came from Saturn, right? Um, and people would say like, "Oh, what are you trying to tell people? What's the you know what's the allegory that when when you say you come from Saturn?" He's like, "No, I, I mean it. I come from yeah. Saturn. <laughs> literally, come from Saturn. Right? Yeah. Um, amazing guy. Um, the reason that I." like to draw on, and, and in that piece in particular, um, I mean, it's it's called Above Us Only Sky. It's just full of sort of mid-century uh, musical references, mid to late 20th century musical references, uh, sort of like the 40s to the 80s. That's kind of the, the the time. And I've just got song lyrics thrown in there all the time. Um, two reasons. One, um Music, especially uh, popular music, contemporary music, um, forms an unconscious, uh, sort of running um, set of references and associations in our contemporary mindset that other texts and stories would have done in older times. Um, most of us can reach much more quickly for Beatles' lyrics than we can for, like, the third chapter of Joshua or something like that, or the Rig Veda or these, you know, or scripture. Um, so music is one of these, uh, one of these, um, canons, these evolving canons, uh, that, uh, that shapes us whether or not we know it. Um, another one of these is certainly, uh, science fiction, um, music and science fiction, um, not only inform, you know, ordinary folks, um, but inform folks who are trying concretely to uh, get humanity increasingly into outer space, right? They're romanced by these, by David Bowie, by... uh, Philip K. Dick by um, even, you know, even by some physicists, but mainly by, you know, by Star Trek, by Star Wars. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and so these sources, these other sources in other places form this kind of unconscious, sometimes unconscious and sometimes conscious canon um, that a- does actual work in the scientific world and the entrepreneurial world by giving them a sense of, by giving us a sense of what's possible. Um, the the reason that I like artists like Sun Ra um Afrofuturists like N.K. Jemison, feminist science fiction authors like um, Ursula Le Guin, it's precisely because of this category of imagination. Um, that they're not just, when they write, when they write music, when they write Sort of worlds into being. Um, They're not just replicating the conditions that we already live in. They're saying, like, let's think differently. Let's think about how genuinely to live differently. How to set up another kind of society. How to exist in another um, model, mode of consciousness. How to love better. Right. Um, We find these artistic possibilities in um, in music, in literature. So those are the two the the two reasons. It's sort of um, like diagnostic on the one hand, right? A lot of these scientific, economic, political ideas are coming from art in the first place. And then it's prescriptive on the other hand, which is to say, all right, so let's pay attention to the kind of art that might actually allow us to live differently and maybe even live better. Yeah,
0: it's uh, I'm just I I just I would listen to you forever talk on these subjects because I personally just feel heard uh, because as somebody who has a mathematics degree but spent time in theater uh, and people go, how do you keep it all straight? Russ, how do you, like, what, why, these seem, seem like they would pull you apart. And I've always told people, it's like, well, it's interesting because mathematics is a social activity. It's a performance of, of uh, evidence, a performance of proof, a performance of insight. And mm-hmm. so is theater. And often mm-hmm. I found that I was almost inverting the processes where math, I would be drifting all over the place. Mm-hmm. like sun Ra. like it's a math is jazz to me it's like you never know mm-hmm. where the ideas are going to connect and when they mm-hmm. do it's obvious like in a jazz song you're like of course this is the way that it was supposed to go right. and right. Uh, where in theater it was always so rehearsed like you were logically working out the performance and how you wanted to make the the audience feel mm-hmm. of course until you actually put on the play and then everything changes but i think about these and in relation to what you're saying, uh, just my own personal reference point to it. um, It seems like people would be uncomfortable admitting that a lot of their thinking and a lot of their approach to things uh, is actually deeply informed by, I guess, what I can interpret as ritualistic cultural expressions. I don't have another bucket for what you're talking about, and I'm calling out this juxtaposition that that sci-fi is a great term to talk about because I think when I talk to scientists, they'll, who really love sci-fi, right? These are people that will just wax poetic about interstellar or whatever the thing is that they care about. They'll key in on how cool the science is. But when I hear them, I can see mm-hmm. that what moved them was the fiction. Right. And so do you find in all your work in, in, teaching and talking to other thinkers that, that they're aware that that's what's happening or do they read your stuff and they go, yeah, that's everybody else. That's moved by all that stuff. But my thinking is more rational. I'm totally informed by the science.
1: I have been um, humbled and humbled by and grateful for the response that at least anybody who's gotten in touch with me um, has, has had Um, there, cosmologists who read uh, the stuff that I wrote on the multiverse and said, um, yeah, the problem is that physicists, we physicists, we cosmologists are theologians and we don't know about it. And we don't. We, so and the, the, the problem is that we're doing bad theology. And if we could just figure out how to ask better questions or how to realize this the scope of what we're asking and the kinds of answers that that's going to compel, um, maybe the stories that we tell about Um, what we're hoping to uncover would be a little more rigorous or would be a little less. Can I intercept
0: there and ask you what they mean in saying they're a bad theologian? What are they, what are they reacting to where they go? I I, I know I'm thinking spiritually or religiously, but I'm bad at it. Right.
1: Okay. So, um, the, uh, this is going to do, can I, can I go on a, all right. Um, so The idea of the multiverse is the idea that uh, our universe is just one little part of a vast, perhaps infinite compendium of universes that's hypothetically called the multiverse. Um, This idea has been around, particularly since about the late 1950s, with the development of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Um, And then it kind of came back again in the 80s in a different form uh, with inflationary cosmology. Um, And then it came back again in the early 2000s with string theory. Um, And it really started kind of coming at physicists from all these different directions at the beginning of the 21st century. They were getting it from string theory, they were getting it from inflationary cosmology, they were getting it from quantum mechanics. Um, And so the question isn't so much like, why are we getting this idea? But why did people start paying so much attention to it at the dawn of the uh, 21st century? Um, And the answer is that Because of some discoveries that I won't bore anybody about in the late, very, very late 20th century, um, it was starting to look more and more like the universe was uh, fine tuned. This is the language that physicists use, which is to say, um, if you had any more gravity, any, if gravity were any stronger than it is, then the universe would implode. Um, if you had any less cosmological constant, which is to say the negative pressure of the universe sort of repelling the universe out from itself, then the universe would explode. If the weak nuclear force were any weaker and the strong nuclear force were any stronger, atoms, molecules couldn't hold together. Like It looks as if all of these um, values are precisely perched on some uh, razor's edge to allow the universe to exist the way it does and the big question is like why how did how did all these values get so precise when like anything else would have given us nothing at all and of course the easy theological answer to that is well there's a god there's a god yeah. who said look i want to make a universe and in order to make a universe we're gonna to have to have this much gravity and this much cosmological constant the electron's gonna to have to look like this right sort of god is like a cosmic mix master like making setting that all the controls just right um physicists freak out when they hear this possibility. And so the more fine-tuned the universe looks, uh, the more compelled physicists are to find another solution. And the other solution ends up being the multiverse, which is to say, if there's not just one universe that's this weird way, but an infinite number of universes, then then universes just try on all different parameters all the time and you've got a universe with too much gravity and a universe with too little gravity and they they explode, they implode, they work, they don't work Um, life can emerge, life can't emerge universes develop in different ways all the time Um, and we just happen to be in one that had the right parameters to allow um, lots of stars and then eventually planets and eventually at least on our planet life to emerge Um, so what the physicists are doing when they turn to the multiverse is swapping out an infinite Humanoid intelligent God for an infinite number of invisible, totally, forever inaccessible universes. Right, that's the swap. Um, and because they're bad theologians, they think that somehow the latter is not theological. Right, that the yeah. belief, the affirmation in, in an infinite number of uh, again inaccessible universes is somehow just scientific. Right, is somehow just a um, like a neutral just mathematical necessity. Is
0: um, there, uh, uh, I guess if I were to interpret my version of the bad theology here, it's the assumption that it, it's either or, that mm-hmm. it's either there's a God controlling what's going on or there's this unknowable multiverse, like, and there there's no room for any other possible way that this weird universe we find ourselves, it, it, like, is that ever recognized as maybe the bad theology?
1: um no um and it's it's sort of hilarious because of course theologians themselves can come back and just say sure okay there's a multiverse great god created the multiverse right it's not it's not even an either or it's you can have you can still have both and um and of course one could imagine that there would be other explanations um but the thing that i want to ask is what makes the fine tuning problem a problem in the first place like i think you have to have a particular kind of mind that says like why is it this way when it could be some other kind of way Um, only theoretical physicists right ask this question well and do you you interpret
0: that as they're still coming at it from a human and in, in a way their own particular uh self as the center of the universe's experience that they build a mental model that must emanate out from them or emanate towards them, but not, you know, not this, I don't have another way of thinking about this, but when I think about the universe, when I just say it out loud, I'm like, it's definitely all out there and everything is coming at everything else, you know, Mm -hmm. in whatever way. So I don't even know how to personally conceive of its directional towards me or away from me. But I get the sense that physicists are like, I'm going to order it explanation-wise according to my experience of it. Right. Well, there's this
1: simultaneous avowal and disavowal that this is what physicists are up to. Um, You asked me at the very beginning of this episode, um, what's your light cone? Yeah. Right? Um, And what you're affirming there is that insofar as the universe is at least indefinite and perhaps infinite, right? You can actually draw the the universe, the light cone, right, around anything in the universe. The, sure, the universe can be centered on me. Sure, the universe can be centered on the Dairy Queen down the street, right? If there is no actual center to the universe, because the universe is perhaps infinite, um, then everything is the center of the universe, right? Um, what I think these uh, these sort of unconscious philosopher uh, uh, physicists forget is that um, that that's just a that there 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 would be an infinite number of other places to draw the center of the universe. Right? You could yeah. ask <laughs> why is it that this universe was so perfectly suited to create um, the, the, the clouds of Venus with like 900 degree Fahrenheit temperatures that are completely unlivable for any form of life. But that's not what they ask. They ask like, how did we get life and trees and, you know, and beyond meat and things like that, like the the stuff that's just right all around me. (laughs) So there's this sort of unconscious reversion to, um, to me and us and the stuff that we are in love as the center of the universe. Yeah.
0: You've got me really going on a, (laughs) <laughs> thought process. Yeah, here, sorry really. about that. No, no, no. It's really good because you made me think. Um, I don't want to pick on physicists because I know lots no. of physicists. I love them. I wanted to be a physicist. Um, I love physicists. I love you all. Um, their bad theology strikes me as better theology than corporate theology. I don't know uh-huh. how much interaction that you've had, you know, talking about these topics with people that fancy themselves as corporate people or business people or whatever. But I I find they've done even less thinking, but in a lot of ways have declared uh, even more uh, religious or mythological statements of truth. And, and again, this is where I responded so well to your writing and your thinking is you're, you kind of called that out. And I want to explore that. Like it, I don't hear very many people talking about their businesses as religions, but if you read the decks that they write to each other, and the, and the offsite meetings and things that they have, it Mm -hmm. very much is like crusader language. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the question back to you is one, do, do, have you seen corporate people understand, uh, this aspect of what they do? And two, what does it bring to bear on what you've seen in the news space stuff that you write about?
1: Great, um, that's a fantastic. well done with that transition. i am um, I agree um that theoretical physicists are theologically and philosophically thoughtful. Um, they are asking, um, metaphysical questions: Where did we come from? Where are we going? What is the universe like? That they either affirm or don't affirm as metaphysical questions, and then give metaphysical answers, which is to say, there's a God, there's a multiverse, there's or whatever. Right? This is this is some this is some careful thought, um, and it's not, for the most part, um, an instrumentalizing kind of thought that is seeking to um, to profit monetarily from any of these these answers. They're really trying to figure out what's going on with the damn universe, and as such, they're they they are philosophers. They are theologians and you know and some of them are great at it and some of them are a little less less thoughtful about it as as when they um delightfully proclaim that for example the the multiverse or evolution or whatever it is like disproves the existence of god that's just silly right nothing can disprove the existence of god nothing can prove the existence of god um because if there have been smart people for a long time and if if somebody had been able to do either of those things somebody would have done it by now right okay um absolutely uh so, bad, so the the bad theology of physics is is uh, better, you say, than um, than the um, dangerous, I think, theology of of corporations. And I think that this is right. Um, you're talking about a crusader language. Um, yeah, there's a there's a kind of. Uh, evangelical notion that, uh, the, the company, whatever it is, uh, needs to, uh, conquer a market, corner a market, uh, secure resources, gain territory, things like that. Um, and in order to do that, uh, you're often looking to, um, convert to like win hearts and minds over to, uh, the just nature of, of the cause. Um, and so we usually get, um, in their mission statements, um, most corporations proclaiming the uh, the good they're doing for all humankind. Um, but of course, this is not anything new, right? Um, I mean, you use the term crusader, the crusades themselves, um, the conquest of the new world, um, the advent of capitalism, um, all of these uh, economic and uh, sort of political... Economically backed political efforts or politically backed economic efforts, however you see it, um, were uh, underwritten and justified by what was then explicitly religious language. For example, um, Pope Alexander VI giving the new world to Spain, just doing it, saying, here, here's the new world. Take it, do whatever you'd like with it, um, and do whatever you want with uh, the people who are living there. Um, the stuff is yours. God wants it to be yours. Uh, God has given Christ authority. Christ has given me authority. I'm giving you authority. Right? This is, like, this is straightforward. You can see it very clearly there. Um, but the same kind of idea of um, of particular people... Having what feels like a, a divine right to um, ownership, to profit, to exploitation, um, is now I think being used in slightly more uh, more subtle ways. Uh, but it's a, again a very a very old logic.
0: And so, do you? Th- it sounds like they knowingly use that language appropriate that language that it's not an unknowing theology that just accidentally happens to a company but they're like they know and i'm i was wincing while you're talking because i have been part of using these words at times and and i'm not hopefully i, I don't sound uninformed i'm not uninformed about the power of those words and why they do work um, but am i am i rare in knowing that that that's the language we're using in, in corporate America or?
1: I think you are rare in knowing that that's the language that we're using in corporate America. Um, I think that for the most part, um, capital, capital accumulation, the pursuit of profit is understood to be a purely secular, um, Endeavor um, a universal good, um, and the uh, the stories that we all tell, including me, right? When I when I say like, well, I guess I'll get this at Whole Foods because that will be good for something, right? Um, That these are very old fashioned ideological ways of covering up the damage that we might be doing. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know when, you know, when, and just to get really concrete, um, when Elon Musk says, you know, the end is coming, um, this planet is toast. There's nothing we can do for it anymore and we really shouldn't do do anything for it anymore because it's our past and we need to escape our past and um, enter into our future, a place that we really belong, which is to say the universe itself and the way we're going to get there is Mars and presents Mars as a promised land um, where we can finally be free and we can finally exist forever and our generations can exist forever. I don't know how much he knows that he's sounding like the book of Exodus. I I, I don't... I don't know. I think yeah. he just thinks that it's straightforward, that it's just the case.
0: This was sort of a revelation to me in reading your, there's that kind of word, uh, revelation to me in reading your work was not taking seriously how earnest people are.
1: They, yeah. they have a
0: true belief. I don't, these are maybe bad words for it, but they have an no, earnest belief in what they're saying. Yeah. And it would take some very skeptical work to kind of deconstruct that, Um Another phrase that you said in there that I kind of want to go into, which is uh, new world, mm-hmm. other world, new market, other market. I, I, I find that it's a pretty common thing, uh, certainly in business and in the technology world, um, even to declare the technology world like a distinct world. Like we, we've, I see people seem to need to declare there's some other new thing out there. And that justifies abandoning this thing that we actually exist in, whether it's the communities we're in or the planet we're on or the, the business we're actually in and just pointing somewhere else and saying, look at that new thing. And because it's new, I can't be blamed and I can just go take it or use it or whatever it is, is, uh, is that kind have you seen that in your your reading of history and even religion that that's a pretty common human thing in history is that when you just kinda don't want to do the work you just go declare something new and the old thing dead or useless and you say we're going to the new world and it's like anything goes sure. now
1: Yeah, I see this every time I drive out on my local highway and I look at the decrepit abandoned strip mall on my left and I see the newly abandoned strip mall on my right that they're just building and hoping to attract new business um, rather than just... Just refurb the old one, right? Like, what is it? But but we 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 can't possibly, there's too much, it's 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 icky, it's old, it's new. It's sorry, it's icky, it's old, it's it's sort of busted in some sort of way. Um we want something new, we want something shiny where we can, you know, start from scratch. Um there is this romance of the new. Um and I think the romance of the new is the idea that. We, whoever we are, who's building this new world in this new strip mall or whatever it is, um, can make it the way we want from scratch, that it will all uh, be in accordance with our will and our desires. We don't have to negotiate um, with any pre-existing conditions. Right? Yes, You can put the walls of the new strip mall where you want, be exactly where you want. Um, and I don't know that this is a, a universally human um impulse. I just think that it is a, uh, um, I think it is a, a prevalent impulse um, among those of us, myself included, um, who are descended from the folks who decided to conquer the name, the, the world in the name of newness. Um, and the, part of the thing that I'm trying to do in this book is to show that that actually does have a specifically religious, not universally religious, like all religions teach us, but a specifically religious inheritance. Um, the way that uh, imperial Christianity, and when I say imperial Christianity, I mean the type that took over the world. I don't mean um, the kind of Christians who are out like taping themselves to trees so that trees don't yeah. get cut down I or like Pope Francis Christians in the right. Um, Imperial Christianity has understood the creation of the world as a creation out of nothing. What they have taught is that God makes the universe out of nothing. Um, The Bible doesn't really say that. It is not clear at all that that is what Genesis is saying, but it's what the church has taught. And the reason the church has taught it is if God creates out of something, like out of a pre-existing ocean, or out of a pre-existing sort of formless matter, right, something like that, um, then God has to negotiate with that pre-existing stuff, and God can't just impose God's will completely on it. It's only if God creates out of nothing that you have a genuinely omnipotent creator, right? Not only, do, he who doesn't have to, again, doesn't have to negotiate with anything, doesn't have to compromise with anything, can just, like, impose his will on things.
0: It's so, um, I just hear, I mean, I, I I respond to these, like, we're doing a diagnostic, I think, some of this, but then I, I end up having... Having this response to what you're saying because it feels like a, uh, it just feels off. Not what you're, not you saying it, but that people have this view that the the most powerful idea of a god would be one that just is the ultimate designer from nothing. To me, mm-hmm. that's the that's the least powerful god i could think of Mm -hmm. that has to Mm -hmm. that the only way they can function is to start from nothing because you know god that's easy it's like yeah anybody can do that anybody can do that like a powerful god would be one that could consider everything and and keep working within that and i'm not even making a case for god i'm just making a case for how i would order power like true creative power would be one of integration, not one of disintegration or destruction. But so I'm having, I'm not in a weird, I'm trying to diagnose it. Am I, am I I interpreting that juxtaposition? Like that, that this idea of power being, I must start is somehow some idea of power for people versus Mm -hmm. people never viewing integration as a powerful thing.
1: Right, it's these are these are different kinds of powers, and the kind of power that has been taken up by particularly European um, imperial forces um, has been that that first one that you know let's raise the foundations, let's destroy what's already there, and then we'll sort of we'll create a new thing rather than working from within what might already be there and be incipient there. And you're absolutely right; we know this from if we, if we think about it, we know this from our experience of the everyday world that it actually takes more power, more cleverness, and a lot more patience to figure out how to make the Lego rocket ship from a tangle of, you know, half broken Lego pieces that are stashed away in somebody's drawer than it does to sort of start from the beginning and build it from. Um, it takes a lot more, um, forbearance, uh, to be able to, um, enter into a sea of competing interests and, um, figure out from there, um, how to build something meaningful. Um, there's a a Cheyenne creation story, um, which is really beautiful and which is clearly in a kind of revisionist conversation with Genesis and with the way that Genesis has been understood as a creation out of nothing, um, where the God in this creation story, um, he makes a couple of animals. And then he's like, all right, animals, can you help me make the rest yeah, of the yeah. world? Cause I can't, yeah. I can't do this on my own. Like, what do you guys need? What do you want? And it's again, deliberately, um, a way of saying back to the Imperial creation story, like there are better ways to create. Um, and in particular, there are better ways to create that are, um, not only less ecologically destructive, but that are actually ecologically beneficial. Like there are ways to live on the land without destroying it and trying to build stuff on top of it. Um, There are ways to live on the land, with the land, as the land um, that actually benefit the land that's benefiting you. There are all sorts of ways to do this. And what we need to do in order to get there um, is to start uh, valuing different kinds of power, as you're saying, right? And telling different um, stories about about the way that creation gets created.
0: I mean, you make it I, I wanna throw an interjection in there because it's I think it'll be fun for you. One of my favorite things to follow on Reddit is a channel called Dead Malls. Uh, it is the coolest thing. It's just people that go to Dead Malls and artistically, like almost archaeologically, like study them and catalog them. And I just I find it very relaxing. Mm-hmm. And it's got this. I don't want to call it religious quality to it, but if you, I, if you go look at it, I think you'll you'll find it fascinating because it's almost like stepping into a, an abandoned chapel the way mm-hmm. that people do this. And you just, you again, I think you'll look at the image, you'll be like, are they purposely like doing this aesthetic or is this what happens when a gathering place just gets abandoned? It takes on that quality where you mm-hmm. as a human that's been in those spots knows that it's been abandoned right hold on that was like an aside it, it would be fun for you to go see well, but it's not an aside
1: it. because it goes right back to the the thread you opened with sunra which is to say that it is incumbent upon the artists among us for better or worse um to keep sort of picking through the piles of the mess we make and figuring out how to imagine those messes differently i mean i had this to, crazy
0: idea on this that that i have i actually brought up and i guess a serious business meeting with people that could actually have the funds to do it, but uh, I wanted to take all the dead malls and turn them into space environments. Yeah. Where just find like ways to interpret space and just reanimate these malls so that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, reuse, reuse is a good thing, but also to me, malls are not some horrible, terrible blight on humanity there and they actually in my experience and my reading they serve a purpose they are for a lot of communities the only place you can gather and yes there's there's a certain part of capitalism to it but there's also you know the food is cheap they're hot when you, when you need heat and it's cold Mm -hmm. when you need coal. I mean, they actually serve what, what I think often is what churches serve. And I don't want to, I'm not making a case for people going and buying stuff. I'm making a case for Mm -hmm. community gathering spaces. And so one of the ideas I've had is reframing space as a, as just a community idea. Mm -hmm. And if the frame that works for people is to say outer space, because that's our current zeitgeist and you need to make, you know, malls outer spacey and have outer spacey environments. Great. Let's claim that space and see what happens. Um, So this is one idea I was playing with and it's like people look at it. They actually sort of considered it and they don't think it's completely stupid, but they also don't completely embrace it. And then I try and pull the thread, which is say, what do you think you're going to do if you get to Mars? It's already a barren dead thing that's going to require you to, to do something imaginative to it. So why wait? Right. But most of our
1: representations of um, life up there, out there, are these uh, um, magisterially individual portraits of one man trying to grow potatoes on Mars, right? One man trying to make his way back to his family on Earth interstellar, right? Yeah. One man trying to go back in time and find his father. Um, one man uh, untethered from the space station, right? The, the, the background of all of these uh, of these sort of big blockbuster representations is like... <sighs> Yeah. But that's just all it is. It's me trying to survive. Um, I love the idea of reimagining um, space by means of the way that we already reimagine space here right reimagining <laughs> outer space the way that we, right? which is to say as a communal thing you're exactly right the most exciting things that people do in malls is that like senior citizens get together and they walk the malls so that they yeah. can remain agile and they make friends this way right they can or they, they sometimes find romantic partners at 85 years old because those oh did you do you walk them all I walk them all too right they can be spaces of great social engagement um which I, th- I think is counter a counter purpose to what the malls are actually supposed to do. Um, yeah. But what we know is that the most exciting use we can make of space on earth is a collective one. Um, so I love the idea of uh, allowing those kinds of spaces to allow us to reimagine, to, to remember that if we're really talking about trying to live elsewhere, um, we're going to be talking about ways to exist in community, ways to live in community. Not just like yeah. me looking for my dad in space.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have such strange reactions to this because I think about the, the all those movies. I like those movies and those stories, sure. but I'm, I'm always sure. depressed too because I'm like, well, you did all this work and you spent all this money and these resources to go somewhere you actually didn't want to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, your whole point was to go feel bad about everything and then come back. Mm-hmm. It's really weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like, just on the story, I understand the hero's journey aspect of it, but in a way... It strikes me as like a primitive reading of a, of an actual hero's journey to manufacture right. trauma, so that you can right. resolve that trauma. It feels inauthentic to me.
1: It just fe- it feels like the Odyssey just rendered cosmic, right? But the point is to figure out how to get home. Um, the point doesn't seem to figure out how to, um, really how to live otherwise elsewhere or anything like that.
0: Yeah, and it's like it's so get now you got me on this hero's journey thing. Uh, is the hero's journey, is this the only way that humans can respond to stories, whether religiously or sci-fi or pop culture or whatever? Because it seems to be the zeitgeist that people think the hero's journey is the only story to tell.
1: Right. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a philosopher of science and, and other stuff, Donna Haraway, um, who says our, our whole problem is our indebted, we have a narrative problem, um, which is to say our indebtedness to and our failure to think outside of these hero journeys. Um, either we have Abraham, who leaves his home and goes out or we have Odysseus who comes back Um, but those are those are the those are the journeys that we have and then we have everything revolving around this this one guy right Um, but it's certainly not the way the only way that we can tell stories it's not the only stories that exist and part of the reason I think in this uh, this latest book that I look at the work of um, feminist speculative fiction authors, um, indigenous, uh, futurists, um, Afro futurists, um, like folks who've, um, grown up, um, either on the, the underside of history or like at the margins of history or at the like kind of half semi-included ways of history, um, is that they, they know how to tell other kinds of stories, right? And and N.K. Jemison imagines, um, begins her imagination of a city, um, from the principle of saying, um, Let's build a city of people who care for one another. That's it. That's where we're going to start. We're going to start, and then and then she figures out, okay, what are the conditions that we need? That's just the that's the fundamental um, value. It's the fundamental affirmation. It's the fundamental thing that we're all working for. How would we need to configure our city so that people can genuinely care for one another? Right. That's a completely different starting point from. Let me think about a young boy who grows up to be an older man who travels from here to there. Right. It's a, a totally different starting point.
0: Yeah. It's really. Um... I, I as you t- make these references, I remember how much how many references you have in your essays and books and they just like they blow me up because then I gotta do 10,000 more readings and it's great. and I always think like I always end up back at these non-deterministic non-linear artists and you reference a lot of them where it's like they have it's not that they're anti-narrative, it's that they don't mm-hmm. have a narrative. It's a vibe. It's a way of being. It's a, um, just that simple idea you're talking about. What What would a city be like if we just cared for each other? I I don't mm-hmm. think it would have a direction. Right. It'd be like a right. forest. Like what's a forest? Like I, it's just trees, man, growing towards the light, and that's different Great. for every tree.
1: Great, but it certainly wouldn't have this uh, impetus toward newness at all costs. Yeah. The new, the different,
0: the so um, do, do, on that newness at all costs. Is this something that's that's in nature, or is this a cultural artifact that we've we've come up with in many different cultures because we have abundance?
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, it, I, I think it's honestly. I think it's. I hate. I'm sorry to say this out, but I think it's capitalism. Yeah. I think that's what capitalism is. Right, capital, um, in order to keep. Uh, to keep, to sustain itself needs to keep expanding. In order to keep expanding, you have to keep finding new stuff, which is why we needed, why Europe needed the so-called new world, um, why it needed Africa. It needed resources. It needed more stuff.
0: Is this why we need AI?
1: It's certainly, let me get at it backwards. It's certainly why we need, um, or why uh, like space mining companies are going to tell us we need asteroids. Um, we need asteroids because we're running out of. Don't we need stuff just like
0: one asteroid sure. like one asteroid would be enough.
1: Dude, but the problem is, yeah, sure, one one asteroid would be enough. But the one asteroid that the stuff we mine from one asteroid is never going to make it back to Earth. I know it's like right. a
0: crazy vision where I go. Even if we could get the one asteroid, you wouldn't need any after that, right? Just get the one, bring it back, and we're done, right? And people, are I like, know, but we can't no. bring it back. Well, no, yeah. of course not. And if you found that, I always thought, guys, if you send me out there to find the asteroid and I find it, I'm definitely not bringing it back. No, because no, I own they, the look, asteroid now.
1: Well, cause, cause you own the asteroid now, um, because it's very expensive to bring yeah. anything back to earth. We didn't even bring Buzz Aldrin's and, uh, Neil Armstrong's diapers back to Earth because they were too heavy. The diapers were too heavy, right? Yeah. So that titanium is going to be too heavy, right? So we're not going to bring it back to Earth. Even if we could bring it back to Earth, everybody warns, oh, it would uh, destroy the earthly economy by it would collapse the earthly economy by plummeting the cost of whatever the resource was that you were bringing. Nickel, for example, yeah. nickel. I right? mean, ma- matter,
0: um, you're making a very simple, it's a very science physicsy point, but ma- heavy. matter is expensive. It's matter's expensive, expensive no matter how pretty. you look at it where my case would be imagination is actually pretty fungible and abundant mm-hmm. if you use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is,
1: again, this is what Sun Ra was up to. He was like, imagination actually takes you there. Yeah, It actually takes you there and actually takes you there in a different way from getting on a freaking rocket ship and blasting off past the atmosphere and then coming back like William Shatner did and being like, oh my God, that was not what I had hoped it
0: would be. Do you think the same kind of thing is what's going to happen with the metaverse where we spend a huge amount of money to make the rocket ship of VR and mm-hmm. then people get in that and they spend two days in it and they just come out of it completely depressed?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think we, we so many of us already live in in the metaverse in one way or another and it depresses us and it makes us feel terrible and yet we still keep doing it right um it twitter made me feel terrible about myself and the world for a year and a half before i finally closed (laughs) out my um my account Um, i have students who get themselves into genuine depressions on instagram about what they how they can present themselves, how their self-presentation never measures up to anybody else's presentation. It never feels good to them to open Instagram, and yet they do it because they feel like they have to do it. Do they
0: feel good reading the religious text you assign them?
1: Um, Do they feel good reading? They feel really good when they read stuff about um, trees and what mushrooms can do when mushrooms talk to other mushrooms and allow trees to communicate yeah. by means of mushrooms. They're like that, that I want to read more of that. I actually, <laughs>
0: it's really, it's not I, just, I'm asking yeah. you very directly because we, I feel like the, the way, the way to be is all around us. Mm-hmm. And yet we're distracted by this thing, mm-hmm. these things, these systems that we very easily recognize as not fulfilling. So what? Right. Wh- I can't resolve that dissonance. I don't. What is behind that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, <laughs> there's a um, there's a kind of numbness. I think that uh, that I, look, I'm not anti-technological. I, I no, I don't. I think you're highly. Absolutely. This is why it's very interesting. You
0: are highly technical. Yeah. You 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 expressed yourself through this technology. Like you clearly embrace it as a tool for for human good Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. I just um I worry at the about the capacity of some technologies um to kind of dull us into um an unthinking kind of uh sometimes even sort of enslaved repetition that's not necessarily good for us if your technology is making you feel good if your technology is allowing you um to live well in the world delightful right but what is it what are we doing um giving so much time to things that actively make us feel terrible um again i think a lot of it is the kind of dullness the numbness that living elsewhere um uh, affords us living in the actual living in the material world the world of you know trees and floods and hurricanes is is like is painful it's it's beautiful it's wonderful it's it's also it's painful it's like it's cold out there um or it's too hot out there, right? The revelations of that that keep piling on us of global warming are really difficult to bear with. Um, and it seems to me that a lot of our most popular drugs these days are the ones that just don't, that make you just not feel so much, yeah. make you not feel so much. And I, and I think that a lot of our technologies are geared toward that.
0: So I um, relate really to that point. Why, why, do we take so seriously the hallucinations of these new ai systems and the hallucinations of tiktok i consider them hallucinations right they're mm. they're just these mechanations of the machines like taking snippets of what humans have expressed and making things that are plausible extensions of them. I I don't view hallucinations as necessarily bad unless you totally don't understand that like you're hallucinating or the system is, but we don't take seriously some of those passages and thoughts from indigenous folks that you mention in your books where they say, Hey man, I've already been to space. What took you so long? Why do we discredit (laughs) that? But we're like, man, this chat GPT thing, man, this thing's really laying it down, man.
1: Mm-hmm. um there is a at the risk of claiming the position of some you know marginalized human which i'm I'm not um there is a uh, persistent um, suspicion among hip scientific techno savvy um, Fairly well-educated, uh, wealthy folks of uh, of religion and of uh, and this is there are a number of reasons for this, um, but religion gets specifically uh, demonized in ways that um, literary production and artistic production um, and certainly technological production doesn't um, and don't. Um, it sort of bears bears the brunt of uh, of of being like the other, right? The other two technology the other to science the other to sophistication right
0: is this you had mentioned to me when we were talking in a previous conversation about whitehead's notion of the fallacy of misplaced concreteness is that's what's happened somewhat what's happening here is that if you frame something as a scientific endeavor that it's got this concreteness to it where Mm -hmm. if you frame it as a religious endeavor, even though they could be saying totally the same thing, your interpretation Mm -hmm. is more concrete if you're coming from a Western science society.
1: Yeah, I think that that's, that's part of it. And part of the problem is the mistaking of a particular form of Christian metaphysics for which, like the truth is in another land, God is disembodied. What's really real is somewhere else. Um, mistaking that kind of religion for all of religion, yeah, right? and saying that, but you know, most religion is a lot more concrete than most technology. Most <laughs> yeah, I find it very is practical.
0: Perfect. Is that's my yeah. interpretation of concreteness?
1: Absolutely, most religion is like get out in the field and do this particular dance so that the rains fall. Right. Very straightforward. It's <laughs> very, yeah. it's very embodied. Um, it's very practical, uh, and it's and it's and it's and it's everyday, right? It's not. Most religion is not making these immense uh, proclamations about you know other worlds and uh, other ways of being and um, you know disembodied
0: figures that nobody's ever seen before. So this is um this has been a great this has been a great jazz conversation. <laughs> uh, because it's like, I, am sure there are, there are people listening that are like, what's the arc? What's the arc here? How are they are going to wrap this up? And I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to disavow that we have to do that. Okay. That we can, we can, we don't have to put a pin on it. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to, because I, I just feel like I have a lot of reading and thinking to do. Um, and I hope, people listening if they if they chose to listen hopefully they knew what they were getting into that they were going to have to ask themselves questions um but i do want to ask you a question because it's really what what got me to reach out to you was like existentially i'm very bothered by some of the labels that you've you've put on different groups and communities doing things i'm in that group Mm -hmm. i'm a tech bro I have a career that has been in product and technology in tech circles, and it's probably obvious to people listening to me or who might Google me. Um, and I keep ending up either in or creating these kind of businesses that that I've tried sometimes to escape the stuff we're talking about, and then out of preservation or some other thing, I end up getting pushed back into it. Um or literally very directly and very vulnerably, um, there are people that rely on me to use my privilege. Mm -hmm. And so in what we've discussed today and what you've been able to discern about what we're trying to do at at this startup that's sort of, I guess, tied to this podcast, this company Titan, are we, Mm -hmm. in one sense, not knowing... Not knowingly, unconsciously furthering this idea of bad theology of corporate stuff. And or if we're not and we're actually chasing something and and I'm believably saying we are, uh, where we're trying to let people reuse what we have here on earth to expand mm-hmm. our notions of, of our own space and trying to build a business around that are we is this never going to work from a business standpoint if we just take earnestly this discussion like are we doomed to just get drowned out by by the bigger corporate religious machine
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that it's a different question than the one that I thought that you were leading to. Um, I have no idea from a business perspective, whether or not you are doomed. Um, I thought you were, you were going to ask, um, more, uh, sort of ethically, are we working at cross purposes? Uh, I'm asking both
0: questions because I think the only, only way that I could go into my grave is knowing that i answered both of those in the positive that that mm-hmm. i could make good businesses and at the same time ethically if you talk to me 20 years from now you'd go eh, you kind of took the yeah. question seriously
1: yeah sure so okay um i let me get at this sideways um i teach at an elite private historically white institution um, I teach a number of students who are here on full scholarships, and I teach a number of students who are here um, whose families are paying full tuition and are um, extraordinarily wealthy and have always been uh, the the recipients of an extraordinary amount of privilege. If we, if I were having this conversation um, with somebody who had just written a book about the. Um, racist, classist, corporate notion of the university. I would be in the same position you're in of saying like, is there any good that I can do from within this historically white elite university? um, Or do I need to, you know, I don't know, to do something totally different and how can I do something totally different when I need to feed my kids and I need to get, like there are things that I need to do. Um, And also within this, there are ideas that I have and I feel like these ideas take off really well within this fundamentally Corrupt and problematic institutional machine that I'm 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 working within. Um, so this is not an issue that's combi- that's confined to um, any sector of our economy. All of us are working in compromised areas. Um, the thing that I like that I find so exciting about the work that you're doing at Titan is that you are. Um, taking the the word imagination seriously and saying like imagination can actually do real stuff for us. Um, And maybe, sure, maybe we'll end up eventually in outer space under some sort of conditions. Um, But in the meantime, um, we can bring all of that, um, all those conditions for thinking differently uh, here in ways that are far less ecologically disruptive, in ways that are far less... um, complicit with military interests, um, and in ways that allow people actually to see things differently. So I think it's a beautiful idea. And I think the only problem would be, um, going forward with it forever without ever taking stock of how things are going, right? Nobody has an idea from the beginning of, you know, how clean their hands are. How, and, 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 one of the other things that Donna Haraway says when she's saying we got to get away from this hero myth is we also have to get away from the idea that there's any kind of pure place to start or any kind of pure place to act. We're always acting from within the like nasty mix of things to do as well as we can. Um, and if you can figure out what that mix is and, you know, nudge the universe into a slightly more just place or a slightly more, um, compassionate place or a slightly more imaginative and you know creative place this is wonderful and um but you you gotta you gotta be able to do stuff and then stop from time to time and say like how are we doing how is this going right um rather than uh, going full speed ahead and, and never asking yourselves. And I love that this, this podcast is taking that time to kind of reflect on the work that you're doing. I was actually on a podcast yesterday and somebody said, you know, where do you find alternative models of, um, space exploration? And I was saying, well, you can find it in, you know, this body of literature, these bodies of literature, you can find it in these religious traditions. You can find it in traditional ecological knowledges. You can find it. Um, and there are even, you know, places within the space sector that are trying to do things differently. I mentioned Titan space, um, as, a, and we're, we're all just sort of experimenting and, and trying our best, but it seems to me to be, a um, a really promising possibility.
0: I, uh, I, I appreciate a lot of that. That's, it's good. I don't take any of that as an endorsement. I take it as a, no, I don't understand assignment.
1: it well enough to endorse yeah, it, I yeah, it. I think yeah. as an
0: assignment that, that you, you really gave a it's a powerful roadmap. And I take your books and your essays and your, your talks. It's like very serious. I mean, it's cause it's, it makes sense if you consider it, the, the, the cultural things you're bringing to bear make sense. And if I can just say for people listening, like at Titan, we really are trying to bring there to here that there is ill-defined. We want people to define what that there means to them i think some of the problem that i've had with the quote space race a that we call it a race, b that there's always some there that somebody Mm -hmm. else has defined and tries to make you want there and it distracts you from appreciating you're here Mm -hmm. you're here my here all of those to me are theirs that i should come to understand and such that i do the The idea of wasting a lot of matter and energy to go physically there um, Mm -hmm. seems Mm
1: -hmm.
0: silly to me. And actually, I think in a lot of ways, from I can make the case for a business or a technology. It's like, what cooler technology could you create than one that helps more people go there Mm
1: -hmm.
0: without extracting?
1: And I like that. I think you can push that Sun Ra lyric, right? Um, if we are here, why can't we be there? I don't <laughs> it's,
0: think- to me, it's like I saw this animation once. I just encourage anybody listening and every just great physics animations that are now crept up on YouTube because we have all this technology. Where if you look at it, you actually see Earth uh, in this animation and all of the ways that it's moving through space. You know, it's like spiral, you know, mm-hmm. around the sun, and then it. And then you look at the the solar system and then the galaxy also is doing this unbelievable spiral. You never step in the same river twice. We're never, ever going to return to some point in space that we think we are. If we right. just brought it, I wish I could get everybody to like zoom out at the level of that right. video and go, hey, you don't need a rocket because you're right. already spiraling on like 17 different axes to some right. other location. Just it's all coming to you if you open it up.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, I guess if we were going to close it, um, was this surprising and fun? Was it different?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, um, it was a ton of fun, and I am I am surprised and really heartened um, by the work you're doing, by the thought you're putting into it. So that's that's really thrilling for me. Are you a space hacker? I. I would like to be a space hacker. I'm going to use it as a kind of horizon of
0: becoming. I'd like to become a space hacker.
1: I'm going to do my best.
0: I like that. I like the idea of becoming. I think hackers, if you're listening, first rule of a hacker is they never admit they're a hacker because it's always, it's a process of becoming. And I think, I think we're, we're, we're wanting to, to affiliate our, our ideas with hacking because it lowers the temperature. You don't have to be a crusader. Mm-hmm. You can just be a hacker that's finding ways to use space in inventive ways. And you know, I don't know if the hacker is a bad term nowadays or whatever, but to me, it, no one knows who's a hacker out there on the internet. And I don't mean in the negative. It, it's, there's never, you never have to show your membership card. Mm-hmm. You can just kind of contribute.
1: Well, and the thing that I like about it is the, the image one gets from hacking of, Making use with making use of what you have in interesting new ways right so it's not um, finding a whole new set of things um, I think about parenting hacks yeah. which I've been trying to work out for a number of years <laughs> which is to say like you're you've got a stroller on a really sunny day and the sun is coming into the stroller and waking up your kid and you don't have yeah. a way of so like what can you find around you to rig up some kind of rudimentary sunshade that's a hack that's a right that's a working with stuff that you doesn't cost you don't you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to, you just have to think, and you have to think sort of orthogonally. Um, you think differently and you do it for a particular purpose, right? You do it um, often for um, for protection. You do it for care. Um, you, you have a reason for it.
0: And so I could tie this back to one of our early things. Like God as a hacker strikes me as a very powerful God. I like it. Like God just saying, hey, look, man, this is pretty weird. I didn't know what I was doing. It's a pretty weird situation. Like, let's hack. Like it. This is great thank you so much for talking and for writing uh for the audience like good news you can keep the conversation going by picking up astrotopia go to mary jane's website it's like she's out there everywhere and it's like it's very cool that she puts it out there you don't you don't have to attend a, a university to get what she's writing although you should if you want to do that but 'Cause I think I think what she's doing is gonna speak to a lot of people and it's a very different way to go about space and engaging, and it's it's I'm I've been changed by it. So if that was your goal, you have accomplished that and I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful to talk to you.
0: Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to From There to Here, a podcast for space hackers. It's hosted by Russell Folt Smith and produced by Titan Space. New episodes are released on a regular cadence on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and syndicated out to all your favorite services across the global terrestrial network. So please subscribe to listen in on discussions about the new space economy from a uniquely human perspective. And visit titanspace.co for more information about how you can start hacking in space immediately. Online versions of Titan Space's experimentation software are available at no charge. That's titanspace.co. Thank you to this episode's guest, the Titan Space crew, and extended family. It's time to change how we share space. See a Space Hacker. Titan Space.
1: Get in the box!